Welcome to the Fleming Foundation's broadcast of Episode Zero in the series From Under the Rubble. My name is Jim Easton, and I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Fleming, President of the Fleming Foundation. From Under the Rubble is a somewhat unusual title. What do you mean by it? Well, I borrowed it uh, from a famous book in 1975, a group of Russian dissident writers and intellectuals and scientists, uh, and they were, they were led by uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Igor Shafarevich, uh, came out with a book of essays critical of communism and of Marxism in general and of the regime. Obviously, this had to be done on the QT. This was Samizdat publication. In the, in the Brezhnev years. These were the years, the 1970s, were years when all the experts on the Soviet Union, um, that is our own CIA and various other experts in the West, were convinced that the Soviets were on the verge of world domination. They were able to coerce their own population, keeping them in fear and keeping all criticism silent and uh, if you did openly criticize the regime, you ended up in Siberia doing a, a long stretch in one of their penal colonies. Uh, so this was a very daring thing for these dissidents to do. What turns out, uh, in retrospect, what was realized after the collapse of the Soviet Union is that it was an untenable project. It, it simply couldn't work. It was based on false principles. So, for example, the... They tried to destroy all social hierarchy. They destroyed, destroyed private property. They made war on uh, various parts of traditional Russian culture. They suppressed the Russian church. And it was uh, not a stable foundation on which to build even a small country, much less a global empire. In retrospect, it was clear that the Brezhnev era of the Soviet Union, like the Stalinist era, was really, to put it in communist terms, a Potemkin village. It was cardboard cutouts, not a real city. And when the first high wind came along, and that is the first big crisis, uh, it blew away. It's important then to realize that we too live in a society where the regime conquers all where uh, no one can stand up to it, no one can really criticize the foundations of this American regime, and which is going to last for a million years, and it's go before long we're going to be conquering outer space. We have all the same kind of uh, imperial rhetoric that was used in the uh, Brezhnev era, and uh, it's, I think, just as hollow. Are you really comparing today's United States to the Soviet Empire? Well, in many ways, no. We are a, uh, we're far more affluent. There's far more uh, freedom. We live in luxury. We can move where we want to, take what job we want to, mostly read whatever books we want. Uh, we can enjoy ourselves, express ourselves in thousands of ways which were undreamed of in the Soviet empire. On the other hand, we live in a regime that has more successful ways of controlling 
the, uh, the population. Now you've uh, talked before about us having less freedom. But what do you mean? How are they controlling us now? Well, we have a, a system of education which now for many children goes into preschool three or four, when they're three or four years old. For throughout uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school, the, ch the children are taught nothing it, it, unless they learn some math and science. Most of what they learn in English or civics or history or geography, it's mostly counterfactual propaganda. Their heads are filled with nonsense which the regime wants them to repeat over and over and over. When they go home, they turn on the television or they listen to pop music or they watch movies or they get on the internet and watch video games. All of these things are restructuring the way they look at the world in, in ways that are as unrealistic as anything dreamed up by Lenin, Stalin, and Brezhnev. So between mass education, the mass media, and then you have a culture based on he immoral hedonism, you know, uh, sex without tears, without without fear of babies, with, of, with all, I, I don't even really want to go into that uh, on this program, but a culture of hedonism backed up by a culture of drugs. We are the most drug-addicted culture in the history of the world. And by drugs, I'm not talking primarily about uh, methamphetamines and cocaine and heroin and marijuana. I'm talking about the prescription drugs. Something like over half the women in the United States are taking prescription tranquilizers, uppers, downers, sleeping pills, which have incalculable effects on their psychology. Now, all of this, when, when you put this into a socioeconomic system of basically cradle-to-the-grave support uh, from a, a socialist system of welfare, which is a little bit less true here than it is in Britain and Northern Europe, but it's still true enough. You're really, the human character, our sense of initiative and purpose and nobility and dignity, our human character is being thoroughly degraded to the point that no one seems to have the understanding, the knowledge, or the courage to be able to stand up and say that uh, this regime really is not paradise. In fact, it, there's, uh, it's been quite wrong for quite a long time. Can't we just shut the TV off? Can't we just uh, send our kids to private school? It's true, and this is an important option that people can and should exercise. The thing is, so few do. So many people, I mean, I know doctors and lawyers and politicians and people who, who should know better, but sp who spend 15, 20 hours a week watching uh, television, who are, and if they're not on television, they're on the internet surfing these uh, websites for, for propaganda of their flavor of choice. And... Uh, Private schooling is increasingly an option, but you, and and uh, but mo a lot of the private schools, especially the better, more expensive private schools, are only more efficient uh, institutions at doing pretty much what the public schools are doing. Homeschooling is very important. It's very difficult, however, and uh, not always successful, but it takes so much work. 
and we've got a, a culture where, where men and women are encouraged both to have jobs while they're raising their children. This makes homeschooling almost impossible. So they've created this socioeconomic structure that makes independence, cultural independence, moral independence, educational independence, makes this kind of independence uh, very difficult. So the regime is very smart. They know that rather than round up critics and dissidents and troublemakers and put them in jail, it's better just to let them go because they can get 95% of the population by seduction. They don't have to threaten or intimidate. Oh, the, the occasional extremist, they will go and, and uh, shoot, like uh, poor Randy Weaver's wife in, uh, in Idaho. Uh, and there are such cases all the time, but that's really, one shouldn't over, uh, overestimate the effect of that. The really important coercion is coming by undermining our character, not by threatening us. Is there, really, is there really any opposition to this? Are, are the Republicans doing anything to uh, help us out on that? The, the Republican Party, <laughs> conceived in sin as it was in the 19th century, the Republican Party has been consistently the party of the larger business and multinational today, multinational business interests, they, uh, there are good people, many fine people in the Republican Party, but the party itself, the party itself always presents the voters with a series of candidates who have been bought by the regime. When, when a party can seriously put up Mitt Romney or Bob Dole or the Bushes as their standard bearers and expect us to believe that these are men of integrity and that these are men patriots who are interested in the welfare of the citizens. I mean, the response from a normal American should be, you've got to be kidding. It's a country of 200 plus million people and I'm supposed to vote for Mitt Romney? I'm supposed to vote for Bob Doe or John McCain, worst of all? The Republican Party has sold out its constituents at every turn on every issue. For example, we, the, the evil Democrats have given us same-sex marriage. Well, what was the Republican alternative? Civil unions for members of the same sex. Well, marriage is one of two things. It's either a, re, it's either a religious ceremony, either a sacrament or just a profound uh, religious union presided over by the church and the families, or it's a government-licensed contract. Now, the government has nothing to do with marriage as a sacrament or a religious ceremony or as a personal commitment. All the government can do is issue a, a license and take the, take, the, take the fee for the license. So when the Republicans said that they favored civil union, what they meant was they favored gay marriage. And if you, up and down the line, whatever it is they claim to oppose, they have already sold out the people who believe in them. And when we look to the, to the coming election, it doesn't matter who the candidate is, it's the, that candidate will sell the voters down the river. Well then what, what type of response can we give? Well, I sometimes think of, uh, putting a little spin on Christ's admonition that uh, he who is not with us is against us. And of course he also said he who is not against us is with us. 
In this case, though, I think we have to understand that it is the regime itself and not this or that party or this or that individual that is what is opposed to everything decent and true and honorable in the traditions of the West and in Christianity. That, therefore, the if the regime is the enemy, then collaboration with that regime is treason against what you believe. It's treason against Christianity. It's treason against our civilization that goes all the way back to the Homer, to the Homeric poems and the Bible, the ancient Greeks, the Romans, the, the children of Israel. We have to get our heads straight about that. There has been a war being waged on this civilization for four or five centuries, and it entered an acute stage about the time of the French and American revolutions. It's not that everything that's happened in those hundreds of years has been bad. M many very fine things have happened. Many very fi fine people have lived and done good things. But we now can see, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and we can realize that, uh, that the intellectual tradition of the modern West is self-hatred of ourselves as, as Europeans, as Americans, as, and as Christians. Now, the, the way to begin is to understand this and go ahead and vote. Vote for uh, whichever candidate promises you something. You know, if, if you can have a better job or lower taxes, uh, that, uh, then you have every reason to, to uh, go out and vote. But do not invest yourself in one of the two parties that is dedicated to the destruction of what you love. And I'm not suggesting at all that people withdraw into little communities of faith living on the edge of the desert. We're not, we're not Essenes, which was the ancient sect of Jews at about the time of our Lord who went out and lived in the desert and repudiated all social institutions. This is not what Christianity is. It's not what Christians do. We will, we will continue to live in the world and work and have families and we will, we will continue to, uh, to be honorable citizens, pay our taxes, obey the law. But what we need to have to do is to adopt the position of Shafarevich and Solzhenitsyn. And that is that we are <clears throat> on the other side of a great divide. Now, if you want to do this, you have to be prepared to be hated. Because people who cross a regime, whether it's Nazi Germany or fascist Italy or uh, the com Communist Soviet Union or nationalist Japan, ideological states, the states built on theories, these states cannot allow too much open opposition. They have to demonize you. Uh, so they will call you a patriarch, they'll call you a male chauvinist pig, they'll call you a bigot, they'll call you an exploiter of women, of animals, uh, whatever it is, they'll, they'll come up with it. The great Russian dissident Shafarevich was the finest mathematician in Russia and one of the two or three greatest mathematicians in the world at that time. And Shafarevich was accused, not by the Russians, but by the U.S. government of anti-Semitism. Why? Because he was a committed Russian Orthodox who loved his people and loved his traditions. And instinctively, they hate such people. I had the, uh, the rare privilege of, of uh, 
getting to know Shafar Avish. I had dinner with him, and I, I really tested him as best I could to find out, was he indeed an anti-Semite? And the answer is, no, he's not. He, uh, he is simply a patriotic Russian who thinks that Russian liberals, not Jews, but liberals, have destroyed his country. The, the, the little book he called Russophobia, uh, has, I don't think it's been published in English, but the CIA made a translation, and uh, a member of that agency uh, gave me a copy uh, so I could uh, make up my own mind. This is dangerous in America. You're never allowed to make up your own mind. But Shafarevich has had to put up with this great indignity to close. He's been banned from various learned societies in the United States because of this false claim. So it, this is quite serious. And if they can't call you an anti-Semite, they might call you a child molester, whatever. So it, we have, but we have to be clear about our role as dissidents but never fall into irresponsible behavior, never make, never make claims or threats, don't engage in conspiracy theories. We have to do the hardest thing in the world, and that is to live like adults and Christians. And that's really the, the very difficult challenge I'm putting out to, uh, to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. We look forward to continuing this conversation.